I found it very difficult because um, Tim has preached three sermons and I, I don't know how many that I've preached in my life and every, he's preached three ser- every sermon at the end of it you've clapped him <laughs> since I've been in Wrexham nearly five years not once David have I Okay. <laughs> I can't guarantee that. Okay, uh, we're looking at a subject called our magnificent uh, Jesus, and this morning I really would like to try and magnify him, but in the area of his suffering. Uh, And I would like to try and give, if you like, a biblical explanation for the existence of suffering. Uh, So you're going to be really encouraged this morning. And uh, I'd like it to do that in a way, really, that what it does is that it uh, frees you from any paralyzing effects uh, of discouragement, even self-pity, fear, that actually come our way when we suffer. Because what happens is that suffering sort of can just really take us out, as it were. But what I'd like to do is show you that there is a great way that through that, and actually that uh, there was a wonderful person who gave us an incredible example how to come through suffering. So I want to ask you to bear with me with this one, because this bit is just technical. So if you fall to sleep now, I've had it for the rest of it when it all gets a bit simpler. So this is uh, what the commentators say about this. Now, hear it, hold on to it, stay with me. This is, this is commentary stuff at the beginning, but we get simpler. And because at the end of it, I'm going to ask um, Chris to tell a joke. But, so here we go. This is what the commentators say in regard to suffering. Here we go. The entire universe exists to display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God. Hold it. But surely, you ask, the entire universe exists to display the greatness of just the glory of God. Now, that would be true. But actually, the Bible is more specific. The glory of God, you will find in the Bible, shines most brightly most fully, most beautifully, in the manifestation of God's grace. If you like, grace is better than creation. Oh, uh, amen. Thank you, Phil. Keep staying there. Phil's mom, if you're listening to this on iTunes, that was Phil just doing an amen. Okay, that's just for you, mom. Okay, therefore, the ultimate aim and the final explanation of all things is tied up in the grace of God. Let me try and explain that, even to the people on the bleaches. Okay, from Barnabas, who wouldn't understand such things because they go to Barnabas. Let me explain, just for you in Barnabas. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh to suffer and die. And by that suffering and death, bring undeserving sinners like you and me to God. You agree? This coming to suffer and die is the supreme manifestation of the glory of God. You will not see anything better than this. Or to say it a little differently, because I'm a little bit confused, because this is just commentary stuff, 
uh, to say a little bit differently, the death of Christ in suffering is the highest, clearest display of the glory of the grace of God. I'm just saying the same thing in different ways, aren't I? That's because I need to convince myself. If that is true, then a stunning truth is revealed. Namely, that suffering is an essential part of the created universe and will reveal the grace of God. So suffering, according to biblical thought, is an essential part of the tapestry of the universe so that grace can be seen for what it is. Now, where do I apply that to somebody that's suffering? I'll do it very briefly and then we'll move on because I'm going to get onto the detail of that. It is simply this, that when you meet somebody that is suffering and yet their worship is of the cross, doesn't that look more outstanding to you than somebody that is not suffering and that is worshipping the grace of God? That's how it works. Or to put it more simply and starkly, the ultimate reason that suffering exists in the universe is so that Christ might display the greatness of the grace of God. And he does that by suffering in himself so that he can help us through our suffering. The suffering of the utterly innocent and infinitely holy God in the place of undeserving sinners to bring us to God, surely that is the greatest display of glory that ever existed or ever could be. Surely we can't get beyond that. And in conceiving a universe in which to display the glory of grace, God did not choose a plan B. This was the very moment that the whole universe was created for. Good Friday was it. The whole thing was created and brought, made into existence so that one moment could exist. And that moment was a cross. There would be the greatest display of the grace of God. Calvary itself and everything leading towards it, everything flowing from it, everything afterwards, including suffering in the world, is put into context with one thing, the cross. The cross is the most important thing in history. So let's see what the Bible says about this. I want you to begin with me in just a... A little, if you like, Bible study. Imagine we've moved to Tuesday night. This is the prayer meeting and the Bible study, the old days. So you wanted to track with me. So you're going to need your Bibles. I know that's strange thing for you to do here in Gateway Church in Wrexham, but you just need one, okay? So open it with me. And please, could you find Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8? 13 verse 8. Where John writes this, he writes... All who dwell on earth will worship the beast, 
Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now that's my, uh, that's out of my Bible. You've probably got a different version. Uh, but it doesn't matter. It's probably roughly the same. And this means that before the world was created, there was a book called the book of life. The book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb is Jesus Christ crucified this is the book of jesus christ crucified therefore before the god made the world he had in view jesus slain wow and he had in view a people who would be purchased by his blood written in this book therefore the suffering of jesus was not an afterthought as though sort of creation didn't go the way that god planned it but actually suffering was before the foundation of the world it had a place there and it had a place in the book called the book of the life of the lamb who was slain Slaying of the Lamb was there before the foundation of the world. Slaying of the Lamb. And all that that would entail. Now turn with me to 2 Timothy uh, 1 verse 9. I'm just going to consider this one. Again, Paul is looking back before ages began, into a time before the foundation of the world. And this is what he says. He says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us, that is, he gave us his grace, in Christ Jesus before ages began. So God gave us a grace, an undeserved favour, a favour towards sinners, uh, you and I. In Christ Jesus, before ages began. We had not yet been created, folks. We had not yet existed. We had not yet sinned, but God had already decreed a grace, an in-Christ kind of grace, a blood-bought grace, a sin-overcoming grace that would come to us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. So if we put those two verses together, you could probably read it like this. So there's a book of life of the Lamb who was slain, and there is grace flowing to undeserved sinners who are not yet created. And don't miss the magnitude of this. Where, where the writer in Revelation talks about the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. It's used in the New Testament by the Apostle John. And it literally means the Lamb will be slaughtered to death. Now I don't know whether you have ever taken this into consideration what that means. But basically if I take a... Let's take my cat, Sophie Cat. Ooh, I love very much Sophie Cat. 
But let's, she is just an undeserved, and basically, if I did this, I decided that what I would do is that I would take a huge piece of wood to her, and that I would slowly, but surely, over a period of time, hit her, and hit her, and hit her, and hit her, until she died. That would be the biblical word, slain. It basically means that I will punish her unto death. And before the foundation of the world, slaughter and slain is there before the foundation of the world. And it says that this will happen, that Jesus will be taken and he will be, if you like, pummeled with a stick, if you were, using the illustration, until dead. So here we have suffering, the slaughter of the Son of God, in the mind and plan of God before the foundation of the world. The Lamb of God will be suffered, will suffer, he will be slaughtered. This is the plan. The suffering and the death of the Lamb of God in history. Let's just remind ourselves, theologians, is the best display of the glory of the grace of God. And that is why God planned it before the foundation of the world. We'll open this a bit further. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5. You know these words. Paul says, God chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for our adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace. So the goal of the entire history of redemption is what? To bring about the praise and glory of the grace of God. So now you know where I got it from right at the beginning. It came from Ephesians, okay? Because people say, where's he made that, that long phrase up from? I nicked it from Ephesians, okay? Because I knew I was coming to it later. It's not an original thought. It's just from the Bible, okay? The goal of entire history, therefore, is that, to bring about the praise and glory of the grace of God. But notice that twice in these verses, Paul uh, says that this plan happened in Christ or through Christ before the foundation of the world. It says in verse 4, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world in order to bring the glory of his grace. And then in verse 5, it says God predestined our adoption through Christ before the foundation of the world to bring about the praise and glory of his grace. There's that phrase again. What does that mean? It means that our chosenness, our adoptedness, the thing that we've been celebrating, that David said, come on, you need to know this, that you are loved. How are you loved? You're loved as sons. You are chosen because God wants to bring you into his family and treat you like that. How did that happen? It happened through the phrases in Christ and through Christ. And we know that Paul had in mind the suffering and dying of a redeemer so that we could be adopted. Galatians 4 tells us that. Our adoption could not happen apart from a death on a cross. 
That's what makes us adopt. How do I become, how do I, how do I get this wonderful sense that the Spirit comes upon us and, and we cry, Abba, Father? How does that work? It works initially in the fact that Jesus died and brought us in, and then we get brought into his family. It starts with a death. It doesn't start with a feeling, hey, I'm, I'm in the family here. No, it starts with a death. You are purchased and placed into, therefore you can cry, Abba, Father. That's the wonderful thing. Therefore, when, when we see this again and again and again, what we see is that over and time again, the suffering of Jesus Christ for the adoption of people like you and I was planned before the foundation of the world. And finally, go back to Revelation 5, 9 and 12. Here... Here's the hosts of heaven. What a wonderful phrase. The hosts of heaven. I wonder what that would look like then. And they are worshipping the Lamb. But ask yourself this question. You've got it there in your Bibles. They, in what way are they worshipping the Lamb? In what way are they doing it? You know, it, it wasn't sort of the jig Jesus we sort of celebrate your victory or, 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 a, or a Dave Simpkins. Have you seen Dave do it? Dave does that sort of business, doesn't he? So David joining the hosts of heavens does this. What is that? It's sort of 60s stuff, isn't it? There we go. So there's David in the hosts of heaven, and he's, he's singing. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy... Are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed a people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Just continue on a bit. And I looked and I heard around the throne myriads. Extraordinary. Myriads. And if we're not sure about that, and thousands of thousands saying in a loud voice, what are they saying? Worthy is the Lamb. Next line. Who was slain? This is in heaven. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. There's the grace bit. So the hosts of heaven are focusing not just on a lamb, not just on, hey, Jesus, he's a great guy. Look at him. Blah, should see him. No, not at all. The focus of, of, of heaven is on a lamb who was slain. Their worship is pointing to the suffering and the slainness and the slaughter of the lamb. I don't know what you think that when you're going to, you know, will we go to heaven? And No, we worship a lamb who was slain. The suffering of Jesus is part of our heavenly experience. I don't know what you think, hey, when I get to heaven. No, when you get to heaven, you worship the suffering Jesus Christ. This is what it says. And it still goes on. By the time you get to Revelation 15, John is still trying to explain it to us. Therefore, we can conclude that the centerpiece of heaven, all eternity, is a display of God's grace. 
the slaughtered lamb in heaven. Angels, cherubim, seraphim, hosts, myriads, thousands, all people are not forgetting one thing. The slainness of the lamb. The greatest suffering that ever will be is at the centre of our worship. The centre of our wonder, the centre of our glory, the centre of our passion. It stays at the centre. The suffering is not an afterthought. It is the very focal thought of everything. The problem is with all this, as I can see from my daughter who's frowning, is that... It is, there is a mystery in regard to that and the earth. You see, do you see what this implies about sin and suffering in the universe? Because according to his divine plan, God permits sin to enter the world. Oh, that's... God ordains the thing that he hates will come to pass it's just what and we i think my answer to this is it's difficult to fathom that one i can't work that one out i'm ever so sorry if you've got to this point and you're waiting for the answer and you're sitting on itunes listening i don't have an answer to this one i'll tell you that because my voice just went higher didn't it i don't have an answer for this one and I just don't. Because, and you can see that, going. you? There are times in the Bible where you just think, you know, when it says, you know, God's ways are not our ways and all that sort of stuff, we are in one of those moments right here. Because God said, I'm going to let sin come into the world. You can see this where Joseph, do you remember that famous thing where Joseph and his brothers, they sold him into slavery and, and all that malarkey goes on and eventually they, he comes back and he's the prince and all that sort of stuff and he's the big guy and they're the little guys. And eventually, and he says to them, he turns to them, he says, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And you want to go, all that? Don't you want to go, the prison and... You know, the adultery thing accused of and the pit and, and, you know, and all that stuff. And you say, how can that be? And you're trying to work it out in your head, aren't you? And you think, and how do you understand that, Joseph? Surely you must have that got wrong. But I just want to have a chat now with Adam and Eve, if I may. I want you to imagine that Adam and he- Eve are here. This is Adam. Say hello, Adam. Hello, Adam. This is Eve. Thank you. There they are. Just to make sure. Turn around, Adam. Don't look at me, look at them, okay? Don't pick your nose, Eve. Okay, right, here we go. So I want you to do this. Now, now look, Adam and Eve, I know that you think that you meant evil as God, because I know what happened. You rejected him as your father, and you said, you know, I no longer wanted to be, you know, I want him to be your treasure. I know that. But here's an incredible thing. You think you planned the fall. But God planned your fall. Now they've just turned back to me and looking at me and scratching their heads. Because they think that they did it. And God says in his word, he did it. This is what the Bible says, Adam and Eve, if you're listening. Stop looking at Tim, Eve. (laughs) And don't do that, Adam. The seed of the woman will one day bruise the head of the great servant, And by his suffering, he will display the grace of God. Adam, Eve, you did not undo his plan. 
You think you undid his plan, but you did not undo his plan. See, later on there'll be a guy called Joseph. And he was sold sinfully into slavery. And you think you sold yourself for an apple and it went wrong. You describe yourself, guys, as fallen. But actually, what you did is set the stage for the greatest display of grace that ever would be. That's what you did. Isn't that marvellous? You built the stage. Thank you. Get another apple. (laughs) The Bible says, doesn't it, that, that sin... But not only did sin enter the world, but through sin came suffering and death. And Paul tells us that the world was subject to futility and and corruption by this sin and and curse. In Romans, he puts it like this. He said, the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. I don't know if you've ever read that. He subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be free from what? Decay and obtain the freedom of what? The glory of the children of God. Now we know that the whole creation has been what? Groaning together in in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, eagerly, for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting. We're waiting for this day. And when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, it turned horrible, didn't it? I think Tim told us just uh, a few days, you know, know, murder came in and all that sort of stuff. It just went horrible and horrible things followed. It seemed to get more horrible, didn't it? Horrible and horrible. Is, is that a word? Horrible and horrible. And horrible things just followed. Suddenly we have diseases. And you think, how many more diseases? Can't you just have flu? Can't the world, you know, I, you know, sin came in the world and we got flu. No, look at the complex nature of the diseases that we now have. And we're trying to cure them and suddenly another one comes up. Defects. You've only got to look at me to see defects, haven't you? <laughs> I, I, I had, all I wanted was just two inches on my legs. That's all I asked for. You know, that's all I, I had two things that I used to pray for when I was little. A set of drums, never got that, two extra inches. I just wanted to grow that big. I didn't want to be the little guy in the football team. I wanted to be the one. I wanted to be Tim Hartman, Peter Crouch. That's all I just, that sort of stuff. We see, we see disabilities, don't we? Look at the pain that people cope with in our world with the disabilities that we have. Once Adam and Eve were perfect, now we have the effects of sin in disabilities. And then you see natural catastrophes that just catch us out. I don't know whether you were like me when the tsunami hit. It was Boxing Day. Boxing Day. That's not right, is it? Can you do it on sort of February when we're not celebrating something or other? But what do we get it? We get it on Boxing Day. You see human atrocities, the people that weigh, the, people, the way that people treat each other. And whether you like this or not, from the youngest infant or the oldest codger like me, 
or what the hymn writers call it, the vilest offender or the sweetest saint, nick that from hymns, suffering seems to be no respecter, does it, of, of situations or people. It just comes, doesn't it? And that's why Paul said in Romans 8.23, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait. Don't you look at all those things and groan inwardly about it? Doesn't it, again, doesn't it get to you, the effects of sin in our world? Doesn't it make you look at it and think, God, Jesus, when will you return? When will you come and restore what has gone wrong? And Ezekiel tells us, even in this whole area of mystery, things that I still find rather strange to understand. Because in Ezekiel it says, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of, uh, in the, death of the wicked. Hmm? He brought sin into the world. It's one, it, and yet Jeremiah doing sort of one of those mind-numbingly things again. It's in Lamentations where it says, Though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not willingly afflict, afflict or grieve the children of men. Wow, how do I understand that, Lord? The only way that I can understand that is that there is something higher that is beyond what we now see, feel and touch. There is something much bigger that we can touch that puts those things into context. So the stage is set and redemptive history begins to unfold and sin has got to the point where it is now in its full and deadly force and suffering and, its de- and death are present and ready for whoever should greet it. And into that world comes a baby to a single woman born in the back of an inn at a time when the Romans are in at their fiercest and its leader is bent on killing as many young people as it can. This was not the worst time for Jesus' life, no. This was the beginning of a display of the glory of the grace of God that would confound the world. Because the laugh of it is that people tried to kill him and they could not. His circumstances were not the best. But they couldn't catch him. Isn't that wonderful? He was born in the worst but would come through and show something else. Therefore, in the fullness of time, God would send his son, he'd come into the world, and he would choose to suffer because of the foundation of the world for people like you. And every, like me as well, sorry, just not like you, like me and you, every dimension of his saving work would be accomplished through suffering. Everything. So I just want to look at Seven scriptures in closing of how things have come your way through suffering. Here's the first one. We'll put them up here just in case anybody is writing things down. 
Christ absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf and he did it by how? Suffering. Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For he's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The wrath of God that should have caused our eternal suffering fell on Christ. Now you just think about this for the moment. Think about, just for a second, the anger that would come from God in regard to one person's sin. You think of what that might be placed on Jesus. No, this wasn't the anger of one man. This was the anger from God for all of mankind that would become Christians. Yours, mine. Just think of the anger generated in this room alone that would be placed on Jesus at his apparently most weakest point. The whole anger of God. How is he going to save you? He's going to save you by receiving that anger. He's almost saying, yes, place it on me. That's extraordinary, the weight of that. You can see that where it says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The anger has not come our way because it's come his way. That's the first thing. These things build up. So now you've just got a picture of Jesus on the cross and he's bearing the wrath of God for mankind. Jesus then bore our sins and purchased our forgiveness and he did, does it by suffering. 1 Peter 2 verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Or Isaiah 53 5. Sorry to nick it from you, Tim. He was wounded uh, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. How did that occur? How did we receive our forgiveness? How does that work then? You can see it in Isaiah. By being wounded. By being crushed. Not only is the anger of God, but now he's been crushed and he has been crushed and wounded for our transgressions. Not for one man, but for the whole of redemptive history, it's been placed on him. Now I want to ask you a question. Somebody hurts you. How do you feel? Well, you get a little bit uppy about it, don't you? What happens is this. This is what happens in my family. It works like this. Somebody hurts me. First of all, my lip goes. Secondly, I look for my wife. Where's my wife? I need to tell her in great detail the hurt that somebody's caused. She needs to engage me in this because I am in difficulties here. She not only engages me, if I can, if I can find any of you to tell you all about the hurt, I'm going to find you. So anybody that's going to ask me at this point, how are you? They are going to get it. It's coming their way. And I can do it day and night. That's the way that I, that is not any significance compared with the crushing and whatever of the sin that was placed on Jesus. And yet we can do, I can do it for a week. 
You could probably do it for 10 days because you're probably better at it than me. But Jesus took all of that more, 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 more and more. And he had it and he said, I will take it on me so that you can know forgiveness. Now you imagine the agony of one person. Some of you have made life decisions because somebody has hurt you. Thirdly, Christ provides a perfect righteous for us and that becomes ours and he did it by suffering. Philippians 2 verses 7 and 8. He, what, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, 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 he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The obedience of Christ by which many are counted righteous. That's what Romans 5 says. Had to be an obedience of a death. How do you stand before Christ? I think it was David earlier, I think it was, when he said to us, look, he pro- I think he prayed it or exhorted us to it. He said, you stand in Christ. How do you understand the privilege of standing before how does he what what makes you acceptable what makes you uh, what makes you that thing where you can boldly enter the throne room of god you can come to him with confidence all the stuff in hebrews how does that work it works because you are clothed in christ's righteousness he sees you as his son and he says come on come on in come to the party how does that work? He, he gives you righteousness, but he bears your, what, sin. That's how it works. It is an exchange. You have the pleasure and he has the pain. Your pleasure does not stand alone with thinking, hey, I've got the pleasure. You have to think back, you have to think, hold on, I got this pleasure because of that sin. Because of what he was doing right there for me. It isn't just, hey, hey, I'm righteous. No, you are righteous because he bore your sin on the cross. You see all these things. Now you begin to think, this is, a, this is magnificent, this cross stuff. This is extraordinary that he should do that. And we're only on three, four. Coming up, four. Christ defeated death and he did this by suffering death. Wow. Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15. Listen, Jesus, sorry, since, not Jesus, therefore, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Then you know this, don't you, into Corinthians, O death, Where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, we get eternal life through death. Now, I'm told it's not easy to die. Apparently. Not been there yet. But I have been with people who have died. I've sat with them and I've been there. I'm like anybody else with any other human family where I've known people that have died. 
And most people say to this, sometimes death is, is described as a tragedy. Sometimes it's described as unexpected. Sometimes you look at it and you think it's prolonged. Sometimes you look at it and you think it's an accident. And you think, my goodness me, you know, this sort of thing happened. But whatever happens when death invades a people or a family, it just takes you off your feet, doesn't it? It just sweeps you aside. I don't know. If, I found this when my own father died. It was just almost as if the world did not exist. That although that I went out and I may have done things and that sort of stuff, it was almost as if you were in. You know that thing where they say it sounds like you're in the swimming baths. Because what you're doing is that you are thinking in regard to this thing. Now you think, here's this person who who has never known death. He has never done it. He's, he's lived eternity. He's from eternity to eternity. And suddenly he's made human. And suddenly he's going through all those things on the cross. And he's not only thinking that, he's thinking, what on earth is this then? And he's doing this, what for? So that we might not experience eternal life. That we might, so that we can experience, so we can say in regard to, to de- death, where, where is your sting? Because I know that now I live, I will have eternal life. And all the agonies and pain that are, are placed on him in regard to death are so that I can have eternal life. And all this is going on at the same time on the cross. So that I can stand here and say, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and, all that, and I, you know, I live because Christ lived, all that sort of stuff, and I don't do that. But I celebrate it in the other side of the coin, in the agony of a death on Him. It isn't just, hey, hey, I've got eternal life. No, eternal life came to me through a horrific death on the cross. A slaughter that mankind in its worst could think of. Eternal life hasn't come to me cheaply. It has come to me with a great cost. It came to me with the death of a person that never knew death. That's the thing. Fifthly, he disarmed Satan and he did it by suffering. Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15, the record of debts against us, he set aside, he nailed it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame, he triumphed them over them with the cross. The record of our law-breaking, our sinful nature, was what Satan brought with him at the cross. That's what he did. He said, do you know that couple, Chris and Rachel? I have got a list. He said, I've got this little list called Nigel and Callie, and then I've got this list that says Chris and Rachel. And, he, and Satan literally takes this list to the cross where Jesus is at his most weakness. And he says to Jesus, hey guys, how about all this lot? And can you imagine the ferocity in that? Because when people accuse you, don't they accuse you? Come on, how many of us have been falsely accused? And it, it sort of comes like a bit on the nose, doesn't it? You think, hello, what was that then? And you, you get all sort of, you know, sometimes we, we sort of well up and we have a go back, but most of us feel quite crushed by it. And here's Satan, and he's got all of our sins and all of our lists, and he's having a go at Jesus. He is falsely accusing him. 
You know what it's like to be falsely accused, don't you? But this is all of redemptive history, looking at this one man at the cross. One after another, after another, after another. And Jesus suddenly goes, excuse me. And he grabs the cross from him, the, the, the written code from him, and he snatches it out of his hand, and he nails it to the cross, and he said, it is dealt with, get lost! And he's gone forever, knowing one day that he will be plummeted into the pit of hell, never to return. Extraordinary thing! Extraordinary! That one moment when he goes, and I snatched it out of his hand, and I nailed it to the cross, so that you can know no guilt! Off. Come on, Jesus. It is, it's, it's balmy, but it's brilliant. Sixth, Jesus purchased perfect healing for his people. Oh, you know these ver- verses, don't you? Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are what? Yeah, come on. The lamb in the midst of the throne, this is revelation, will be their shepherd. He will... Guide them with springs of water. He will what? Wipe away every tear from their eye. How do you get healing? How does it work? How do you get it? Through the atonement of Jesus Christ. How do you get no tears? Through his tears. His tears. That's how it comes. That's how it works. It is extraordinary. The lamb, the lamb would have to experience all that a body could experience in regard to pain so that you can know healing. You get healing, he gets the opposite to that. By his stripes, you are healed. He will wipe every tear away. He will cry for you. He will cry for you so that you don't need to cry. Do you know, Callie says to me sometimes, and this is a man thing, I'll probably just communicate. She said to me sometimes, she said, I just need a good cry. And as a man, I go... And we never, we're never quite sure what to do at that point as men. We don't say, yeah, okay, look, let it out. <laughs> or I'll go and cut the grass, you know. <laughs> While she does that, I'll just go and do something, that's the stuff. I, I don't know. Tears for no tears. Christ will bring us finally to God and he will do it by suffering. Christ suffered once and for all for sins, the righteous for the, so that he might bring us to God. Listen to that. Christ suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Now, I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine that over here is a rock-bearing, gun-slinging, arrow-shooting, armed army, okay? They're going to chuck everything that they can, okay? And I want you to imagine that over here is Jesus. I'm just for the moment, I am him. Okay, guys, you can fling everything that you possibly can because what I'm going to do now is that I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring Tim to God. 
So the way that I'm going to walk this is just duck behind me, Tim. I'm going to do this. Okay, chuck it at me. Go on. Anything that you like. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. He will not take it. Here, God, have his hand. That is the cross. You can sit there now. That is the cross. That is exactly what happened. When he says to bring you to God, how did he bring you to God? Oh, come on then. Let's go, shall we? Let's go for a walk in the park. No, this was no walk in the park. Not ever was it a walk in the park. This is why all the onslaught of evil stood before him and he covered you, which is what the Bible says, he covered you and walked towards it so that he could lift up your hand and say, there you are, son, father, now you're united. Isn't that brilliant? Well, I think it is. So let's draw this to an end then. The ultimate purpose in the universe is what? To display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God. And the highest, the clearest display of the glory is in the suffering of the best person in the universe for millions of undeserving sinners. Therefore, the ultimate reason that suffering exists in the universe is that so that Christ might display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God. So, Christian, whether you are able or disabled, whether you are enduring loss or delighting in friends, whether you are suffering pain or having a great time, to all of us who believe in Christ, we are immeasurably rich. Whatever your circumstances, you are rich in him. Therefore, whatever your circumstances, you have been given so much. So, so much. Therefore, please, do not waste your life on looking at what you are experiencing But look to him to put it into context. You are rich in Christ. Look at what was purchased for you. Look at what has been spent to give you riches. And in a world that does not understand suffering and has no context to put it in, would it not be a good thing to spread your riches to a world that doesn't understand suffering? You have an answer for it. And you have somebody that can help them find a context for it. And it is found in one man and one act. Jesus Christ, who died and rose and purchased you as his own.